0: Let's ask God to help us uh, with his word. Uh, True and living God, we pray in your mercy that we would receive uh, this word as your word, the word of the living God who made us, who sustains us, and who will in the end judge us. Help us to hear it, to take it to heart, to conform our thinking and our actions to its truth. But above all, we pray in your mercy that this word would direct us to our Lord Jesus, your provision for us to escape your wrath. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Hurricanes, earthquakes, fires with loss of life and great destruction of property. And it can seem so random, which community is devastated and which is spared, which person taken and which person left. And we know believers are caught up in these disasters. Yet believing God's word, we don't think these catastrophes are chance events. We say that God rules all things, even in the details. As our Lord said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And Paul affirms that our God is the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And so often as we see and think about these disasters, there's a nagging question in our minds. What is God doing? Is God acting justly in these events? Can we trust, can I know for sure, that God's sovereign actions are just and right? That is, we ask ourselves the very questions God gave Abraham the opportunity to ask at the beginning of his dealings with his covenant people. You heard Abraham. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You hear Abraham's questions. Does God treat the righteous and the wicked alike? In his judgments, will the judge of the earth do right? Can he know that? Now, these are the questions God answers in our passage, not just in his dialogue with Abraham, but in revealing his dealings with Sodom In Genesis 19, Abram has been entertaining the three visitors who came to him at the beginning of chapter 18, having revealed to Sarah the promise God had already made known to Abraham that she would have a son about that time next year, a son Isaac, who would be heir of the covenant, an everlasting covenant that God had made with Abraham in Genesis 17. The men prepare to leave. These were mysterious visitors, but now it becomes clear that one of the three is the Lord. And as they're leaving with Abraham walking alongside, the Lord says to himself, verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Uh, We don't usually have revealed beforehand God's intended action and the reasons for it. That's rare even in Scripture. Usually God's activity and purpose in a specific event is left hidden and we're left to interpret events in the light of what God has told us about himself and his dealings generally. But here we see God deciding to make his revelation, make this revelation to Abraham and giving us his reasons for doing that. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham has received promises from God, promises that God is determined to fulfil, promises we thought of last week, promises that will bring blessing to all the earth. And the way God has chosen to realise those promises is through Abraham's descendants, starting with Isaac. We see here the means of fulfilment is through Abraham's descendants continuing in covenant relationship, keeping the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Abraham has a role in instructing his children in that way. But to instruct his children in the way of the Lord, there are things Abraham needs to know, aren't there? He needs to, well, he needs the Lord to reveal his ways. He needs the Lord to reveal his character so that he knows the Lord. And Abraham needs to know especially that the Lord is just that he gives people what they deserve, that acting justly and rightly is rewarded and acting wrongly is punished. I mean, how could God demand his people be just and right if he was not? What motivation could there be to live God's way if it made no difference, if God were not a just judge? So God decides here to draw back the veil that usually stands between us and his actions in events. He decides to tell Abraham what he is about to do and why. What we have in verses 20 to 21 is revelation. Revelation given in the context of an existing covenant relationship, given to serve the continuation of that covenant relationship and so serve the fulfilment of God's covenant promises. Even in judgment, the blessing of the nations is in view. This conversation is initiated by grace to serve the fulfilment of God's gracious purpose to Abraham and in Abraham to the world. The Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great. And their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me if not I will know the Lord tells Abraham he's heard of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah but the Lord also tells Abraham he is not going to act on hearsay he's going to ensure that he is well and accurately informed before he acts You see, even before Abraham asks the Lord, the Lord is starting to reassure Abraham and us of the justice of his actions. They are founded on sure personal knowledge. But it is still an ominous pronouncement for Sodom was already notorious. We saw that back in chapter 13. The people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly. And there was little chance that the Lord would find it better than he had heard. And God coming down speaks of God getting ready to act, just as we read in Genesis 11, where it says that God came down to Babel. Came down and then confused their language. It's this revelation of God's intentions that prompts Abraham's questions. Abraham probably sensed what the outcome of the investigation would be. And he is conscious that his nephew Lot is dwelling in Sodom. And so Abraham seeks reassurance that when God acts, he will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Verse 23. Abraham's asking God, is your judgment indiscriminate? Does the way we live make any difference to you, God? Or is it all just a matter of chance, of living in a world and universe that's indifferent to how we behave? Will the judge of all the earth do right, act justly? Now notice Abraham confesses that the God who made the earth is the judge of all the earth. It is his and so accountable to him. The creator and the creator alone has the right and responsibility of being the judge of all the earth, of establishing righteousness and justice, order in his creation. As judge of all the earth, everyone, says Abraham, is accountable to him, not just the covenant people to whom he reveals himself, all the earth, including godless Sodom, all the earth, including all who reject him, or seek to deny him, all the earth, including our society. Will God act justly in judgment? That is, giving people what they deserve. The justice Abraham is speaking of is not reforming people, nor is it making people an example. Although the just judgment some might endure does become an example. Justice is giving people what they deserve and not giving them what they don't deserve. Justice distinguishes between right and wrong, good and evil, and treats people differently according to what they've done. Will God give to people what they deserve for the way they've acted? Give to them according to their works. To see that happening in any event, any disaster is usually completely beyond us. We don't know the circumstances of individual lives and we don't know outcomes, for death is not the end. An assurance of God's justice is not an assurance we can get with our limited insights from our own observations. And so we live with an anxious uncertainty. This question in our hearts, Will not the God of all the earth be just? Is God going to be just in his actions? But Abraham here has an opportunity to seek that assurance from God, to be assured by God that he does distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, that the righteous will not be caught up in the judgment of the wicked. He gets assurance that people will get what they deserve. And the Lord does assure Abraham of this, of his justice. He assures him of this repeatedly as Abraham whittles down the numbers from 50 to 10. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. If I find 45, I'll not destroy it. Oh, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. I will not do it. Even if I find 30 there. Oh, for the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Even if there were 10 righteous people in the city, the Lord would spare it. And at that point, the Lord terminates the conversation. But the Lord, notice, has given no lower limit. Never suggested that he would confuse the righteous with the wicked in his dealings with them. Now, see how gracious the Lord is in this conversation. Abraham knows God is being gracious. He admits his frailty, dust and ashes. Oh, and that God has a right not to be questioned. May the Lord not be angry, he says. Yet the Lord patiently lets him seek the reassurance he and we need. You see, the Lord doesn't expect Abraham to pretend that his heart is not heavy and anxious, just like he doesn't expect us to pretend when we're praying to him. He doesn't expect Abraham to pretend. And so he lets the conversation continue. And see the Lord's generosity. He is speaking of sparing the whole city, sparing the wicked disaster for the sake of the righteous. So great is his commitment to the righteous. And you'll need to remember that in our city when you get tired of being the odd one out because you live to do what Jesus says. We love and do our neighbours good delaying deserved judgement by being different, by not sharing in the sins of our neighbours no matter how much they might want you to approve them. God graciously reassures Abraham's anxious heart. He is just. He will distinguish the righteous from the wicked. He won't sweep away the righteous with the wicked in judgment. And what God has assured Abraham of, that the God of all the earth acts justly, he now shows us, he reveals to us in his dealings with Sodom. In the visit of the two angels, we'll be assured that God's judgments are accurately informed. In his dealings with Lot, we'll actually see that God can rescue the righteous from his judgment of the wicked. And yes, in his dealings with the men of Sodom, we see that God enacts just judgments. Now, God knows all things, but the visit of the angels removes for us beyond doubt that God is accurately informed of the behaviour and character of Sodom, informed by first-hand experience. And as the angels come, the first man they meet is Lot, who greets them with respect. Lot seemed to be a righteous man in his determined hospitality, hospitality which was seen as a sacred duty in his day hospitality that has already been seen in Abraham's dealings with the three visitors. Lot is seen to be like Abraham in this. And perhaps because Lot knows his neighbours, he insists that the two visitors stay with him. And he provides the NIV has a meal, but it's actually a feast for them. Then, when the men of the city demand his guests so that they can gang-rape them, He courageously seeks to protect them. They called to Lot, "'Where are the men who came to you tonight? "'Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them.' Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. See, that Lot courageously puts himself outside the house, the door locked behind him, and he seeks to reason with his neighbours, "'My friends, don't do this wicked thing.' Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Now, the story does not in any way endorse Lot's suggestion in verse 8. It appalls us, and it would have appalled Moses' first readers. But while we might think that Lot's scale of values is wrong, in context, this offer speaks of his commitment to use everything at his disposal, all that is his, to protect his guests. Just as he has put his life on the line by going out to reason, so now he's putting, in a sense, everything he has on the line. Lot's righteousness, seen in his commitment to protect those who have come under his roof contrasts sharply with the behaviour of the men of Sodom. And notice verse 4, it is all the men, young and old, all the men from every part of the city. There are not ten righteous people in Sodom. Their wickedness is clearly seen in their demand to gang rape the visitors. But let's think further about the sin of the men of Sodom. Firstly, because some have sought to deny any relation to same-sex sexual activity in this sin. And secondly, because some have sought to restrict their sin to same-sex sexual activity. Both are wrong. What the NIV translates here as have sex with them in Hebrew is so that we can know them. Now, some have therefore, reading that, suggested that the men of Sodom just want to know who these visitors are, check them out for themselves, for they've only been welcomed by Lot, himself a foreigner. But this is a highly unlikely suggestion. Firstly, no is used elsewhere. And this is the KJV, which is uh, more literal. No is used elsewhere in Genesis in the sense of have intercourse with. So we see that in Genesis 4 and Genesis 24, Adam knew his wife. And secondly, this suggestion makes no sense of Lot's response in the immediate context. His daughters he describes as those who have never known a man, and yet, of course, they're betrothed and they have the acquaintance of men. And offering them to the crowd bears no relationship to a desire to find out information about strangers. The NIV and the traditional interpretation is correct, it makes sense of both the word and the context. So Genesis 19 here is talking about homosexual rape. Now others seeking to in a sense make this separation between same-sex sexual activity and the sin of Sodom Point to the summary of Sodom's sin in Ezekiel uh, 16, 49. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so they say that the sin of Sodom was that lack of hospitality and that indifference to the needy. But they neglect, verse 50, they were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them, as you have seen. Yet Ezekiel is a good reminder that Sodom's sin is not just same-sex sexual activity. The actions of the men of Sodom would have been seen as atrocious by Israel's neighbours, who, as far as we can tell, had a much more accommodating view of same-sex sexual activity. See, their demand would have been seen by all as both violent and the neglect of the duties of hospitality. And so what we have in the men of Sodom is the unrestrained crossing of sacred boundaries, the boundaries of custom and convention on the one hand, in the breach of hospitality and the determination to humiliate these visitors, and the boundaries of creation between man and woman in the demand for homosexual sex. You see, their demand reveals the violent arrogance of the men of Sodom, who actually reject any authority outside of themselves, any restriction outside of themselves, and any measure of right beyond satisfying their appetites. Revealed in these transgressions is actually a transgression of the fundamental boundary, the creator-creature boundary. They, the men of Sodom, creatures, have put themselves in the place of the Creator with their determination to decide what is right and wrong for themselves and their determination that they alone are their own judges and they will not acknowledge any restriction on their behaviour beyond themselves, any authority beyond themselves. And so there is no doubt about the sin of Sodom. It is flagrant wickedness, a rebellion that repudiates their creator, seen in contempt for their neighbours who are made in the creator's image. But the story doesn't end there. Lot's visitors rescue him from the violence of his neighbours. He is protected by those he was seeking to protect. And then they pronounce judgment on Sodom. They say to Lot, verse 12, do you have anyone else here? Goes through the list. Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. These messengers have confirmed what they'd heard. The outcry is justified, the city will be destroyed and Lot, the one righteous person, will be saved. But now we see that the Lord's commitment is to grace as well as justice. See, God is generous. Do you have any others in the city, they ask? God will save not just Lot, but those who are his. And when Lot and his family hesitate to follow the life-saving instruction of the angels, they actually drag them out. Verse 16, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. The Lord was merciful to them and didn't leave them to the consequences of their own unwillingness to respond to his urgent message. And it is them, not just Lot. Lot's wife and daughter share in this rescue, even though their later behaviour shows that their hearts are in Sodom. See that the relationship that threatened his daughters now saves their lives. Oh, and God's generosity is seen in his patience with Lot, who is indecisive and who doubts God's commitment to save him, where he follows God's instruction. God says, flee to the mountains, And Lot says, no, I can't do that. If I try and do things your way, God, I'm just going to die. Let me go to Zohar. And in response to that unbelief, the angel graciously says, very well, I grant this request too. And then when Lot reaches Zohar, God executes his judgment on Sodom. Then the Lord rained down burning sulphur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From out of the heavens, it is the Lord's judgment, sudden, unexpected, complete. He overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Now to a visitor, those smoking plains might have seemed like another natural disaster. And Lot's escape and Zoas, just a lucky coincidence. But Abraham and we, because of God's decision to reveal his purposes and actions to Abraham, know otherwise. This was the judge of all the earth, judging justly, condemning the wicked, And rescuing the righteous from that judgment, the one righteous man, Lot, and with him his family. But even in the rescue of that one righteous man, we see that in the end, it's not Lot's righteousness that saves him. He hesitated, lingered, doubted God's plan. It's actually God's mercy that rescues him and those who are his, the mercy he enjoys through relationship with Abraham, through whom God mediates blessing, to the world. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out. The judge of all the earth will do justly. Through God's revealing himself to Abraham, we have an assurance of God's character. He is just in all his judgments that is established for his people right at the beginning of his relationship with them. We may not know, most often will not know, why this or that event befell this or that person or people or city. Because God has not revealed that to us. But we can be confident in all he does. The judge of all the earth acts justly. But that means there will be judgment. You see, part of being just is giving people what they deserve. What they deserve for their failure to give thanks to God, their failure to acknowledge Him, their abuse and misuse and contempt of those made in His image for their sin. God has never stopped being the just judge of all the earth. He continues to be an active judge now in history And scripture assures us God will be judged at the end through his son, Jesus. Jesus himself used what befell Sodom as an example of judgment of what it will be like on the last day. As it was in the days of Lot, people were eating. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, and probably worrying about how house prices were going up and whether they... But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And when you hear that warning from Jesus about that day, telling you it's sure and it will come suddenly and unexpectedly, don't be like Lot's future son-in-laws, those betrothed to his daughters. They heard the message Lot warned them. They laughed and they perished. Don't think our Lord Jesus is joking when he tells you that the day has been fixed in which God will judge the world in righteousness. There is that day when God will give to everyone what they deserve for what they have done. Our society may choose to ignore that to deny that but God is sure and he's given us assurance of that by raising his son from the dead instead respond to the word of warning for there will be escape rescue for some in that judgment the just judge we see here knows how to distinguish the righteous from the wicked But who will be counted as righteous on that day? After all, Scripture says that there's none that is righteous. No, not one. And we know the truth of that verdict on ourselves. That's right, when we look at our lives, we know we too have placed ourselves in the place of God, rebelling against his rule to live to please ourselves, whether it's in little things or big things. So what comfort is it then To know that God's just, that God distinguishes the righteous from the wicked, giving life to one and death, the judgment of burning sulphur, to the other. What comfort is it to know that if you also know you are not righteous? Well, God was determined to bring blessing to all the nations through Abraham. And he has done that in his son Jesus And the gospel of Jesus tells us that those who trust Jesus, who turn from worshipping false gods, will be saved from that coming wrath. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. We can be saved, spared from a deserved wrath, by being reckoned righteous in Christ. The just God gives to Jesus, his son on the cross, what our sins deserve. And he gives to those who belong to Jesus by repentance, that is, turning away from putting our trust in ourself, turning away from putting our trust in other gods, and turning back to say Jesus is Lord, gives to those who belong to Jesus by repentance and faith, In his gospel, that is, believing the gospel is true that Christ has died for our sins and buried and been raised by the Father and given authority to judge and forgive. The just God gives to those who belong to Jesus by repentance and faith what Jesus deserves, which is life. And that is the only way to be rescued from his just judgment. So don't be like Lot's wife. God gave her a way of salvation, of being safe. Flee. Don't look back. Don't stop. Flee. But Lot's wife looked back. Her heart was still in Sodom and she looked back. She hungered as it were for that luxury and that freedom where she only decided for herself what was right and wrong. God's mercy is only experienced God's way by continuing in the life of repentance and faith in Jesus. So persevere in faith in Jesus the Son, confessing him as Lord and living for him. And then remember why God gave this revelation of his judgment to Abraham And to us, it was so that Abraham's descendants, knowing that the Lord would be just, is just, would be careful to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Of course, this revelation isn't just for Abraham's physical children; it is for us who have become his children through trusting Jesus. It's for us so we will persevere in keeping the way of the Lord. And what is right and just for us is that we trust God's Son, Jesus. We confess him, Lord. We listen to him. We believe what he says, and we do it. That we make it our aim to please him who gave himself for us, to please him in all things. The way we use our money, the way we live with our families, the way we work, the goals we set, the way we talk to our neighbours. That's right. What is right and just is also doing his will in calling others to share in rescue from the wrath to come by calling them to repent and believe in Jesus. Calling them to repent and believe whether that meets with laughter or not. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes. He will judge the wicked and he will spare the righteous. Make sure you're amongst the righteous by being amongst those who trust and follow our Lord Jesus always. Let's pray. Our Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we live in a society uh, that is blind to the reality of your judgement and mocks warnings of judgement. A society that is wedded to its idolatry of self, its determination to take right and wrong from our own feelings and thoughts ignoring you. We pray that you would have mercy on us, that we would hear this word today and run to Jesus, listen to him, trust him, follow him. And Father we pray more than that, that knowing your mercy we would be transformed by it to show mercy to others, to love those who disagree with us, And gracious Father, more than that, to give them the opportunity of finding mercy by speaking to them of Jesus and the hope we have in him. Let this word sink into our hearts and bear good fruit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.